Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. How's it going, everybody? This is Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle, filling in for Terry, who is on assignment this week. Hopefully he's getting some good fishing in this weekend. And in studio with me, I have Bob Hicks, who is the regional um, the regional director of Pheasants Forever. So we're going to have a fantastic show planned out for you here. We have everything going from some great hunting opportunities. We're going to be talking about the pheasant opener, which is opening this weekend in Nebraska. Um, and then as we move over the next couple of weeks in Colorado, some great fishing opportunities for you out there as well. This is just a fantastic time of year. Bob, how are you this morning? I'm great, Austin. Good morning. Good morning to you. So, you know, let's start off. You know, we're going to be talking about a lot of uh, hunting opportunities here in a little bit. We'll talk about with Nate Zelensky with some mule deer opportunities. Uh, we're going to slide in and talk about some ice fishing, maybe some. But, you know, we have some, some fantastic open water opportunities still. And you and I were out on Cherry Creek the other day. We did all right out there, huh? Absolutely. We had a, a great morning in my new boat and um, uh, caught caught some beautiful fish on the jig and wrap bite. Absolutely. You know, that bite's one of my favorites, as we've talked about, you know, for, for a couple of times on this show, but it's one of my absolute favorites out there. And, you know, the, it, there's a lot of bait fish out there. I mean, we saw an absolute ton on your graphs, and when I've been guiding out there, it's been, been pretty heavy. But uh, you've been catching a few fish, though. You know, I'm just so impressed with Cherry Creek uh, the last five years. Uh, it gets a lot of pressure, but... You know, from, you know, the early season uh, trolling bite that happens in March and April, uh, you know, the lake just continues to produce. And it's it's a really old reservoir, and, and um, people just don't realize what quality fishing I think we have in the metropolitan area. Yeah, whether it be Cherry Creek or Chatfield, which is actually coming back, you know, we've been hearing some good reports out there of good numbers of fish, not the, the nice size of fish that we're seeing um, in some of these other bodies of water, but guys are having some good success. You know, out off of the tower a little bit, there's some big humps out there, and in that 35 to 40 foot of water range, guys are having some really good success on those same jigging wraps and, and blade baits out there. But, you know, Cherry Creek, we didn't catch very many fish out there, and that's kind of how it's been on, on some of the guide trips, but there's been some really big fish that have been coming out. So, I mean, we've been, been seeing multiple fish in that over 28-inch class range as of late. Well, and and the great thing about this time of the year is, you know, it's it's um, you know you're not going to find find a lot of boats out there. You're not going to have to compete. You know, you can really have a a pleasant day, even if it's on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, that's one of the things I really enjoy about fall fishing is, you know, uh, kids are back in school, people are hunting, um, other activities. So, you know, for people that that um, kind of get tired of the crowd in the summer. This is a this is a great opportunity to get out. And our weather, you know, we certainly get our our storms to come in. But you know, we have so many, in my opinion, so many more stable days in the fall than we do any other time of the year. You can really get into a a good weather pattern and and get out there and have some fantastic fishing and that's really been key from what we've been seeing lately especially paying attention to the barometer if it's rising immediately after a storm the bite has been pretty slow but it's been better as we've been seeing a falling uh you know falling pressure or stable pressure although we're not catching a ton of fish out there those days are certainly better and and when we're dealing with a weather pattern like we are right now where it's just consistent nice warm days 
fishing's been all right. So, you know, definitely it's not time to winterize that boat quite yet. So we have a little bit of time left. And, you know, if anyone's looking to sneak up to the high country, there's still some good boating opportunities up there uh, for the next couple of days. But also something that I like to talk about as far as Metro uh, is Aurora Reservoir. So that's really been picking up as of late for both the shore angler and the, the boat angler out there. Yeah, Aurora is a, a gem. Um, you know, it's an electric motor only lake, as you know, and um, that can make it a little difficult, but um, it's a great opportunity um, to go out there. And again, um, no matter if it's it's July or, or October that we're in now, uh, there's never a lot, of, a lot of pressure on that lake if you're in a boat. And there are some great opportunities to catch some really quality fish in that in that reservoir and um you know tremendous smallmouth it's got really good quality walleyes and and the trout and the perch are are the mainstay of that lake yeah and as you mentioned without the the fishing pressure that that some of these other bodies of water take there's really some high quality fish in that lake and and although it's it's not a shad based lake so it's a little bit more stable than we see at places like cherry creek or chatfield although there's still a big bloom of those perch you're not dealing with the massive massive schools of those gizzard shad out there and it gives guys really a good opportunity to catch some fish so you know one of my favorite ways like i've mentioned before is the jigging wrap but changing my color a little bit is the key as you're moving out to those perch-based lakes. So instead of your whites and your chartreuses and, and your chrome type colors, I'm sliding into some of my you know chrome perch colors or some of the yellow perch or even my, my favorites, the glow hot perch. But typically in that size seven, or you can bump up to that size nine in that little bit deeper water, but that is a, a really good opportunity. And then as far as the, the perch are concerned, I like to kind of uh, adjust and, and almost think of an ice fishing type pattern when I'm looking at those perch. So a lot of vertical jigging and, you know, I'll, I'll spot anchor with my boat if at all possible and then drop down various items like, you know, some small rat finkies tipped with some mealworms are a really good choice or rat sows also from custom jigs and spins. And then you could even slide over to some smaller spoons, you know, little Swedish pimples or buckshot rattle spoons can be a really good choice out there. So, so for people that don't know what what do you mean by spot locking austin so on your trolling motor if you can actually uh, there's a button that you can push and it's a a gps anchor and as you are anchoring yourself it allows you to sit still in any depth of water whether you are up shallow or if you're all the way out in the deep water it's basically like anchoring and it will hold you in one spot and allow you to vertical jig very light baits like that whereas it's it's very difficult if you're drifting around to try and keep that direct vertical presentation and Therefore, keeping that bait in, in the correct water column. And that's always the biggest key. So whether, whatever species you're targeting, making sure your bait is in the proper position in the water column and presenting it properly is, is, is drastically critical. But if you have too much wind or you're not able to hold on position, that is one of the biggest detriments I find that, that folks have out there. And, um, you know, it's got to be a huge advantage when you're guiding, you know, to be able to free, free you up. Uh, to be able to move around the boat and help and and instruct people too, right? It really does. I always kind of describe it as the guide's best friend because I can push a button, sit still, go tie a knot, go net a fish, do whatever I need to do, and it also will keep me right in the exact perfect position at all times. So it's it's definitely a uh, a pretty darn good feature and something that uh, I am very fortunate to to have to be able to guide with. So it's it's a good thing. And and so tell me how important electronics are for for this deeper water fishing. 
Yeah, especially the down imaging. So a lot of folks go out there and they're they're fishing with a standard 2D sonar. And what I mean by that is it's your your conventional red and white and yellow type sonar. And that sonar is fantastic, but shifting and incorporating it with a down imaging sonar, which is a, a higher frequency, allows you to pick up these fish at good deep depth. So especially if you're fishing for those perch, a lot of times they're going to be down closer to the bottom, but they're very difficult to pick up with on that standard 2D sonar. It's just kind of a little bit of a fuzz. And that down imaging can clear everything up. And so when you're out there, make sure to shift that down imaging on on your sonar. And the cool part about it is that even the the very low-end and less expensive sonars have fantastic down imagings now. So whereas, you know, 10 years ago, you had to really get into a really high-end expensive sonar in order to get anything that was worthwhile. But now we've gotten to a point where even a $200 sonar is plenty enough to be able to go out and have a lot of success. So um, let's talk about Chatfield. You know, Chatfield's the lake I grew up fishing on. I was raised in Littleton and, um, you know, certainly spent thousands of hours on Chatfield. I know it's uh, had had a little bit of a down year, but, you know, we've been hearing some really good reports the last month that the, the shad, you know, had a good year and there's there's incredible balls of shad out there right now absolutely and and those shad are are to the cherry creek kind of level right now and if folks aren't familiar cherry creek is absolutely loaded with those bait fish out there so once again it's being a little bit more difficult to get a lot of fish going but we're able to utilize the the techniques like your jigging spoons real bait jigging spoons is a brand that's out of seward nebraska that's a really good one that i like out there but additionally sliding over to once again the jigging wraps but then in particular the blades out there have been working really well so snap jigging those baits along the bottom is is going to be key and you know i definitely want to kind of take a a second to mention that you know discount fishing tackle i manage the store down there and we have a fantastic selection of all of these baits right here whereas some of these other uh, big box stores might be uh, sold out of some of the stuff right now but if you're looking for a great selection of jigging wraps basically the best in the state or any of these jigging spoons or just some advice i've got you covered down there well and and uh Austin's the big fan of the jigging wrap. I uh, I kind of tend to lean to the shiver minnow, and it's a similar bait to the jigging rapala, and I can speak uh, personally. Um, nobody has a better selection of the shiver minnows than, than you do at discount, and I, uh, I go back and forth. You know, what I like about the shiver minnow is it's uh, – it's not as heavy and in the same size. So in shallower water, uh, there's some days I, I do really good on that shiver. Uh, so, um, Austin prefers the jigging wrap and, and I would say I, I probably do 60, 40, but you've got an incredible selection of those shiver minnows. And I've, uh, certainly got a tackle box full that I've picked up from your store. Absolutely. Well, we definitely try and, and be the, the regional headquarters down there is the biggest thing that, that we look for. And then also with the fly fishing. So while we got a, a minute or two left here in this particular segment, I kind of want to touch on that a little bit. So, you know, we always talk about the conventional fishing, but as we move into the fly fishing, this time of year is one of the best times to go. And, and we still have some good weather up in the mountains. So if you have a weekday option, Dreamstream has been having a ton of big lake run browns in there, along with a lot of kokanee salmon. Big articulated streamers are a really good choice up there. Uh, some of the Gallops Dungeons are one of my favorites. Also a Sculptzilla from Solitude Fly Company. But then, you know, there's a lot of crowds up there, obviously. So if you're looking to get away from a few crowds this weekend or, or at any point this fall, the Arkansas River is a really nice choice. So there's still a massive population of browns and very nice size browns. You're not getting into those 10-pound class fish, but if you're looking for just that good solid average of 16 to 18 inches, 
the Arkansas River is a fantastic choice. And the same style of fishing I like down there, so swinging some streamers. But then there's also fantastic betas hatches that come off down there. So moving into a juju betas um, or a BTS nymph from Solitude Fly Company is a good choice. But then also in the fall, egg patterns can be a fantastic choice down there. So if you're looking for any of those, Discount Fishing Tackle just south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe has a full selection of those. But when we get back here, we're going to take a short break. We're going to be talking with Jennifer Stanley. She is the Northeast Region Education Coordinator for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and we're going to be talking about the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Sheep Festival. So we'll be back after this timeout on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. My name is Austin Parr, and I'm with Discount Fishing Tackle in Denver, filling in for Terry Wickstrom this week. He is on assignment, and with me in studio, we have Bob Hicks, the regional director of Pheasants Forever. And we're going to go straight to the phone lines now. We have Jennifer Stanley on the phone. She is the education coordinator uh, for the Northeast region of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me this morning. Absolutely. So I understand there is a a nice festival going on up in Georgetown, the Bighorn Sheep Festival. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, Georgetown Bighorn Sheep Festival is scheduled for Saturday, November 10th, and it's really a celebration of all things uh, bighorn sheep. So this right now is the peak of their breeding season um, when the males do their famous uh, clash and bash and and fight for dominance uh, for the females. So everything bighorn sheep is going to be going on uh, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in Georgetown. So I hear you have some some vendors out there as well uh, in, in downtown Georgetown. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, So Georgetown is going to have some local vendors uh, come down to the park and have some booths, and there'll be opportunity uh, for local foods and drink, Um, also some good education booths talking about bighorn sheep, uh, black bears, and some general wildlife stuff. It really is a nice area up there. You know, it sounds like a a great festival, but this time of year, it's such a unique location being able to see those bighorn sheep so close to town. Yeah, absolutely. It really is a unique uh, opportunity to see these animals kind of in their natural environment do what they do. And we will have volunteers set up uh, throughout town with spotting scopes and binoculars at viewing stations um, because the sheep tend to come out on the uh, north side of I-70. So we see sheep every year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so so cool up there because, you know, you can stop and all year long sometimes and even see some of those sheep. So they are... Um, you know, right there along the the, the big cliff face mm-hmm. along along the edge right there on the, the west side of I-70, and I'm sure that they're moving all the way through, but seeing them during the rut is just truly a remarkable, remarkable experience. Yeah, it really is, and hopefully we'll have some males uh, show up and do that famous uh, clash and bash with those giant horns that they have um, as they fight predominance for those females. <laughs> so are you guys going to be talking about anything but the bighorn sheep? You are mentioning something about uh, some other education stations up there as well. Yeah, so, you know, at at these wildlife viewing uh, festivals, it's always a great opportunity to talk about all things wildlife. So we like to get out and talk about uh, bears and urban wildlife that they may see in Georgetown or really anywhere along the Front Range. And then just some fun general wildlife stuff, um, coyotes and, and all manner of things. Absolutely. Well, it's it's such a nice time of year uh, to go in and view wildlife in this state, whether you're in the mountains or on the plains. And this sounds like a fantastic opportunity to take the family up for the day and, you know, see the, you know, hopefully we'll have some good weather next weekend. But uh, it's going to be going to be, you know, pretty, pretty darn nice for sure. So um, now let's talk about some of the photo contests that you're going to have as well. So you're mentioning something about uh, a photo contest for the bighorn sheep on Facebook. Yeah, so 
So uh, anyone can um, go onto the website, and I apologize, it's it's not Facebook. It's actually Georgetown Georgetownbigmontiefestival.org. Yeah, so that's all things Facebook, so that was my mistake. No problem. Um, but folks, if they have uh, good pictures that they have been getting uh, really from anywhere around the state along the Front Range would be great. Uh, bighorn sheep, whether it's the rams or the ewes, the females, uh, they can enter that into a photo contest, and the general public will vote on those, and whoever gets the most votes wins great prizes, both from the city of Georgetown and Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Absolutely. Well, that sounds like a fantastic opportunity to not only get out and, and see the bighorn sheep during the festival, but go out and try and see some in some other locations and, and maybe win some nice prizes. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's such a unique animal with it being the, the state mammal. And, uh, you know, it, I, I, the bighorn sheep, with a, you know, it, it's, it's such a, a unique opportunity this time of year, and, and it's fantastic you guys are, are out and doing this. Yeah, and it's a great family uh, festival opportunity as well, as you mentioned earlier. So the kids are welcome. Any age, they're going to have a chance to get their face painted like a bighorn sheep, and there's going to be a great kids craft at the library. Uh, The train is also open, and the local museums and shops will be open for the day for folks coming through the festival. Well, and the other thing as well is we're not probably going to have ice on Georgetown Lake either, so we'll have some pretty fantastic fishing opportunities to head out and uh, maybe head out to the lake before or afterwards and then shift in for a little break in town. Yeah, definitely. So anyone that has their uh, valid fishing license for this year is welcome to spend some time at uh, the lake in Georgetown. Um, The weather has been so nice, so there's no ice currently, and hopefully we'll have some good sunshine the day of the event. Absolutely. Well, it's it's such a nice area up there, so it'll be fantastic. Hey, Jennifer, it's Bob Hicks with Pheasants Forever. I just want to give a big shout-out to one of your colleagues, Brian Postumus, for his work in the Hunter Outreach Program in the Northeast region and what a phenomenal job he and all your staff are doing with education and outreach in Colorado. It's something that uh, I tell a lot of people about, and we have such a great Department of Wildlife from the director all the way down through all the different departments, but I'm a huge fan of your education outreach department, so keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much. I I will let Brian know. Um, He is so good at what he does with the hunting and angling outreach, and I learn so much from him every day. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, we certainly appreciate having you on, um, having you come on uh, the show here. So uh, if if folks are looking for some more information, uh, where where can they head to, to see some of that? They can certainly go to uh, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website, uh, which is cpw.state.co.us. They can also go to the Georgetown Bighorn Sheep Festival.org and find more information there. Well, we were pulling it up and looking at it. It looks like a a fantastic uh, event for the whole family. So once again, we certainly appreciate uh, you coming on, and we'll look forward to that event. Once again, uh, give us the date on that, just so if anyone's uh, missed out on that, uh, when, uh, when is the exact date on this? Saturday, November 10th, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Absolutely. Well, that's going to be fantastic. Jennifer, we certainly appreciate you coming on. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, that certainly sounds like a nice event up there to take the family to, huh, Bob? I'll tell you what. uh, Anytime I drive through Georgetown, I'm always looking to the right, and I've seen some pretty pretty amazing rams. And uh, um, we're pretty blessed in Colorado that you can get in your car and as long as you don't hit traffic, you know, you can be up there in about 40 minutes from from um, any part of the city. And uh, it's a special thing to see these bighorn sheep in this state. It really is. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk to Riley Morris. He's the Hatchery Operations Program Manager uh, for CPW. We're going to be talking about the kokanee spawns. So there's all kinds of 
cool stuff when we're talking about this time of year. And the state does such a good job with these hatchery operations. So we're going to get a, a good insight uh, from Riley here in a minute. So we're going to take a quick time out here on 104.3 The Fan. Uh, we will talk to Riley when we come back. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle, filling in for Terry this week. And in studio, we have Bob Hicks, the Regional Director of Pheasants Forever. And we're going to go right to the phones again here. We have Riley Morris on the phone. He is the Hatchery Operations Program Manager with CPW. Riley, how's it going this morning? Great. How are you guys doing? Doing excellent. So I hear that you want to talk about some kokanee salmon. You know, it's one of the, the most popular sport fish in the entire state uh folks are always asking about these why don't you fill us in a little bit on that yeah so as people may or may not know um cpw operates several different kokanee spawns around the state this time of year um going into this year uh, i was a little worried part of my my job duties is to uh kind of coordinate and oversee the egg movement uh from these kokanee spawns around the state and obviously we had a pretty dry winter last year um, some of our our water bodies that we take these uh, these fish from are really low this year, so it's made uh, just a, a challenge for the fish even to get back to the places they normally go to spawn where we would harvest the eggs. But I'm happy to say I have some pretty good news. Um, right now we uh, we've taken 8.4 million green eggs uh, from Kokanee. And our statewide goal is 10.5, and it looks like we have a good chance of meeting that. Well, that's fantastic. That's super good to hear, you know, especially with how popular that sport fish is. So many people are asking about these kokanees, and a lot of people were concerned this year, especially with the, the low water. And, you know, even in places like Dillon, where I understand there's a lot of natural reproduction, you know, the water being down low could certainly affect that as well. Definitely. Uh, that You know, it's just a challenge for the fish. Um, Blue Mesa, for instance, the last I heard was somewhere um, around, it was under 40% of capacity, which basically just makes a much longer um, trip for those fish to try to get back to the Roaring Judy Hatchery, which is where um, that's a great spot. They actually swim right back to the hatchery, and the guys can um, kind of um, corral them, if you will, in the raceways and actually perform the spawn right there at the hatchery. It makes it easy, but uh, there's a lot of concern. Are, you know, are these fish going to make this longer trip without running into trouble? Is there going to be somewhere where they're they're blocked off? But so far, so good. Uh, those guys have have pulled in um, uh, over seven and a half million eggs already this year at at Murray Judy. It sounds like they are really supporting the rest of the state when it comes to some of those uh, kokanee salmon. They are. They've they've been the big player for the last couple of years. Uh, they actually broke records uh, the previous two years um, at over sixteen million eggs taken uh which was incredible and also a lot of work for those guys uh sure. you know we really appreciate the the volunteers as well as the hatchery staff that take care of that but uh yeah this year they're doing it again um I, to be honest i was on the verge of, of thinking about requesting some eggs from either utah or wyoming to help us out but uh they showed me again no need to worry about that we'll take care of it but we do also have uh, we're having a, a pretty decent spawn going on at Wolford Reservoir. Um, they do it a little differently there. They actually set up a floating platform, and the fish are kind of herded by a net into the center of that platform, where then they can actually access the fish and spawn them right there in the reservoir. Um, there was some concern on just where we're going to set that up this year because the water was so much lower. Sure. The normal spot was out of the water. Yeah. So uh, the biologist kind of, you know, did his his due diligence, figured out how they're going to set that up, and so far they're sitting at uh, almost three quarters of a million eggs, and 
Um, looks like they'll get quite a few more, hopefully, in the next week or so. It's fantastic. So, you know, speaking of a hatchery there, besides actual egg collection, uh, talk to us about what goes on after that egg collection happens. You know, we're, with, with me being a walleye guide and Bob being, you know, very uh, into the walleye uh, world as well, we're, we're somewhat familiar with what goes on there. But how exactly does the state stock these back into the, the lakes and, and what goes on after the actual egg collection? Sure. Um, well, I'll use Roaring Judy again as the example. So they've got it easy. Uh, they'll pull those those eggs out of the fish, fertilize them uh, with the males, and then they want to just kind of leave them alone for about an hour. And that hour is what we call water hardening. So during that time, the egg is very uh, it's very fragile. You don't you don't want to disturb it very much. You need a little bit of fresh water going in there, obviously, because you know an egg is a living thing that needs oxygen. But uh, for that hour, they're kind of left alone. They're lightly disinfected, and then at that point, after the hour, then you can move them around. At that point, the hatchery guys will uh, transfer those eggs up to the actual hatchery itself, and they'll put it in either egg trays or jars where there's constant flowing water that just kind of gently rolls the eggs, uh, keeps them oxygenated, and then they'll sit there. Um, So that first stage is what we call a green egg, the egg that just has come out of the kokanee. Um, You know, it's... It's green, it's new, and then after that period of, depending on water temperature, sometimes it's uh, two weeks to, to about three weeks, uh, the colder the water, the longer it takes for the development. Then we call that egg an eyed egg, and you can actually see the fish developing in there. You can see the eyes developing, and uh, that's at that point, those eggs are fairly durable, and we can run those eggs through an egg picking machine, which uses um, light. It passes light excuse me, through the egg, and if the light passes through, it's a good egg. Obviously, if, it, if it uh, can't pass through, then the machine kicks it out on the side. Um, it's, it's not a viable egg. Sure. And that helps the guys. Uh, otherwise, it's hours and hours of work picking those eggs. I bet. How long after do you uh, put, put the fry back in? You know, I know with the walleyes, Riley, you know, they, they do it pretty quickly. You know, they put them in when they're just, you know, just the tip of a pin almost back into the system. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's, it's obviously numbers is the key with, with walleye. With the kokanee, they'll actually uh, hatch those fish and and hold them through the winter, and they'll try to get the fish up to about two inches. Wow. Dep- depending on the location, uh, Roaring Judy has a great setup. They can just basically put those fish back into the East River, and then they'll travel back to the reservoir. They'll live in the reservoir for four years, and they'll come right back to the same place. So the key with the kokanee is, you want to get them up to, you know, two inches, so they're, you know, they have, their survivability is pretty good. But you don't want to hold them too long because you want to put them back in the water source at that small size, so they imprint to that same location and they'll come back after the four years. Well, that's just it's it's amazing how that works with that, and and uh, especially with them coming all the way back up to the the hatchery there. It's you know it, it's a, a truly amazing process that you guys do and and all of us anglers are, are very fortunate that it happens because this state has such diverse opportunities when it comes to fishing um and the kokanee certainly as well but you know before we let you go uh why don't you tell us about a reservoir or a number of re- reservoirs that people don't necessarily think about when it comes to catching kokanee salmon i mean what's kind of something that that's out there that that people don't really think about well, I know it's a long way away from Denver, obviously, uh, but uh, Lake Nighthorse in Durango is a 
a reservoir that's been newly open to the public. Uh, it's had a pretty good kokanee run with no pressure because people weren't allowed in there. Sure. So that's a spot where maybe people, um, I mean, if you're willing to travel, and Durango's a neat destination anyway. You don't just have to go there to kokanee fish. But if you're willing to travel, uh, I, don't, I doubt there's too many people that have those fish dialed in yet. So there's probably a, a pretty good opportunity to catch fish down there. Uh, obviously, Blue Mesa is the big player. Wolford Reservoir, uh, I've heard uh, they're pretty pretty accessible, pretty easy to catch, especially in the fall. Absolutely. Um, the spawn. So uh, those are a couple options where you might get some kokanee. And like you said, there's a few smaller um, kind of doing-it-themselves runs. Uh, you know, there's there's kokanee in Williams Fork, there's kokanee in Granby. Uh, we've, we've struggled a little bit to get good returns on those lately, but the fish are still there. Absolutely. And, and, you know, places like uh, Dillon Reservoir, people are always uh, on that heavily and hopefully in years to come, especially with, you know, hearing the good news that a lot of the gill lice seems to uh, be kind of eradicating itself, I suppose you could say. Hopefully we'll have some of these kokanee, uh, really their populations explode. Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're right. And, and Dillon is a good example of one of the lakes that, uh, you know, the kokanee are doing it themselves. We're not, we're not stocking much there, so... Uh, that's that's a great spot, and um, yeah, like you said, most of the fish are, are coming back really healthy. We're not seeing any uh, major gill lice issues recently, so yeah, things are things are looking good. If we can just get some some snow in the system this winter and and have a decent runoff and maybe fill some of these reservoirs back up, we should be in good shape. Well, that's certainly what we're all hoping there. Well, Riley, I certainly appreciate you calling in here this morning and giving us the update on the kokanees. You bet. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Riley. Well, Bob, that sounds fantastic there. You know, the, the kokanee salmon are one of my favorite things to target on the, the late season open water time and then the early ice, and we'll be talking about them potentially a little bit coming up here in a, a segment. Um, but I, it's a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time years ago ice fishing 11 mile, and I'll tell you what, when you get on those kokanee on the ice, especially at that lake, they're really really good-sized kokanee. They're phenomenal. Absolutely. Well, when we get back, Bob and I are going to talk about the pheasant opener. We're going to going to throw a little curveball and get out of the fishing here for a second. So you're listening to 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. My name is Austin Parr, and I'm filling in for Terry Wickstrom this week while he is out on assignment. And I have Bob Hicks in studio with me, the regional director of Pheasants Forever. And speaking of pheasants, we have pheasant season opening today in Nebraska and here pretty darn quick in Colorado. Two weeks from today, Austin. Absolutely. Well, it's a a time of year that a lot of people are really excited about. And, you know, we're going to get to the hunting in a second. But before we do, let's uh, talk about uh, the the, the, uh, South Metro Pheasants Forever first ever meet and greet. Why don't you tell me about that a little bit, Bob? Well, uh, our local chapter here in Denver is called South Metro Pheasants Forever, and we've got a great website. Um, Just Google South Metro Pheasants Forever, and you can pull it up. But um, our uh, education chairman is a gentleman named Tony Dymick, and our chapter recently purchased an outreach trailer with the funds we made at our banquet last March and have it fully equipped. And and, um, Tony's been heavily involved with Parks and Wildlife's Hunter Outreach Program for for many years, and um, he's going to be setting up on opening weekend in several locations. On Friday night, he's going to be at our banquet in Sterling, which is going to be at the Junior College. And then on Saturday morning, he is going to set up at the Riata Travel Shop just outside of uh, Sterling off 
Interstate 76. Uh, you exit at 125. Turn right one block. It's a little truck stop right there, and he's going to have a kind of a help station set up for for hunters. Whether you're uh, an expert, uh, intermediate, but especially for the novice and beginners, and um, uh, he's going to be there to help people out, point them in the right direction. And then around uh, ten o'clock in the morning, he's going to move the location over to Haxton and set up at the Haxton Supers market it's kind of their local grocery store right off uh, us6 and he's going to be there from 10 a.m to 12 30 and then at 12 30 to 2 30 he's going to go to holyoke um so the full list is on uh, it's on colorado parks and wildlife's website it's on the south metro pheasants forever website and we've also got it on the colorado pheasants forever state website but um, so many people austin on opening week can go out and don't know where to go or struggle um, and Tony's just going to be set up out there to, to help people out and point them in the right direction. It's a great thing. You know, Pheasants Forever is really trying to, to reach out and get some of those beginning hunters to, to really start enjoying the, the activity out there. You know, getting out the outdoors is one of my favorite things to do, and pheasant hunting is, is fantastic. So having Pheasants Forever doing this is just a, an absolutely remarkable thing. Well, I mean, um, you know, the Novice Hunter Program, Parks and Wildlife's ran for years, is, is a really successful program. And, um, you know, it's open to all ages. And, you know, we have a lot of people, not just youth, that that want to go harvest something that they know they've taken and eat clean, wholesome food. And I'm somebody that, you know, harvests uh, quite a few pheasants every year and a deer and an elk. And uh, um it's great, great quality food to eat. So we've we've got a new group of people that are that are also getting into hunting that I've noticed over the last few years. So, uh, you know, it, pheasant hunting's tough. You know, it, it's tough. Yeah. And, and a lot of people go out and they they don't have somebody to help them and mentor them. And that's where Pheasants Forever and our chapter step in. You know, we put on a lot of youth pheasant hunts. Uh, um, tomorrow, uh, our Pikes Peak chapter is holding a huge youth event. Unfortunately, it's already. F- full up with 45 kids wow um but um you know go to our 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 state website you can look up all of our chapters and if you've got a youth or a novice that in, is interested we also provide those opportunities but our local chapter here in denver um you know we support habitat by providing funds to our biologists and equipment and uh, habitat projects but what we really focus on in the Denver metropolitan area is our education outreach component absolutely and it's a fantastic component of pheasants forever but additionally a lot of people when they think of pheasants forever think about habitat and the corners for conservation program has really been one that has flourished in the last couple of years and you know you and I were looking at the the new walk and access atlas and there's a lot of nice new properties that have been added yeah this is a partnership that started about uh, three years ago between Pheasants Forever, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and there's some other key partners. The Muley Fanatic Foundation has been a strong contributor. Another one is called the High Plains Land Conservancy. And we all came together and, and raised funds to launch the program. And then where Pheasants Forever has really stepped in the last few years is we've helped buy um, what are known as a, um, a Truax no-till drill. It's, it's a specialized drill to plant very specific uh, pollinating habitat. So in these pivot corners, you can't use a drill like the farmer uses to plant his wheat or cornfield. Um, they're, they're small areas. So these are 10 foot drills that can be easily moved and, and can go in and, you know, they have to be drilled with a, 
a tractor pulling them, but plant a highly diverse mix. So we're working on buying our third drill. These drills aren't cheap. They're about $50,000 a drill. And so we're getting ready to purchase our third drill that will be placed in Yuma County. And uh, in the spring and late fall, we do a lot of these plantings. But and if you've ever been in an airplane, you look out the window and you see these circles, those are irrigated pivot circles. And on each circle, there are four corners. And what Colorado Parks and Wildlife and the Pheasants Forever Farm Bill biologists are doing is they're going out and meeting with landowners and getting them to take those corners out of a dry land, usually wheat production, and put them into habitat. And the deal with those corners are, uh, if we're going to go plant this habitat and, and Colorado Parks and Wildlife is going to pay them access fee, they go into five-year contracts. Um, but these are probably the best habitat on the landscape, bar none, for, for brood rearing and, and raising and nesting and brood rearing season, excuse me, in the spring. And, and they're great places to hunt. They're acres between five and seven acres. So it's something somebody on their own can hunt, or if you have two or three people, it's not very safe to go in there with 10 guys and hunt a corner. So if you're with a larger group, break up into three or four and and hunt the corners safely that way. Well, the corners hold so many pheasants out there and really give guys a lot of uh, good opportunities. And with Pheasants Forever and looking at these walk and access maps, with them being clustered, you can really work quite a few of them all in, in a, a short period of time. That was a strategic plan, you know, that uh, Ed Gorman and Trent Verker, our grassland and small game manager from Parks and Wildlife, worked with our, our biologists, our Pheasant Forever biologists that, you know, um, they're very strategic with where they're putting these corners, and and so um, it's a great program. There's over 300 corners available, and you know what I'd like to mention too is opening weekend is a critical weekend for Pheasants Forever fundraising. We have five banquets on opening weekend, Austin, starting on Friday night in Sterling. Our northeast chapter of Pheasants Forever will hold their annual banquet at the Junior College. On Saturday night, we, we have four banquets. We have a banquet in Holyoke, Yuma, Lamar, and Springfield. And you can go to our Colorado Pheasants Forever website. Uh, it's on the front page if you click on. But, you know, if you enjoy pheasant hunting, you enjoy seeing all these this public access and, you know, the habitat improvements, you know, try to get out and come to a banquet if you're out there on opening weekend. And, you know, we're the only national conservation group that empowers our chapters with 100% of the decision-making on the money they raise. So when I'm in Sterling Friday night helping them with their banquet, you know, Bob Hicks doesn't load up a suitcase of money and leave and ship it to Minnesota. You know, it's up to our chapters to decide how to spend that money. And um, in the last... Um, 25 years, we've raised and spent over $12 million just on habitat in Colorado. It's just fantastic. It gives hunters so many opportunities. And, you know, you mentioned Ed Gorman a, a second ago there, and Ed's actually going to be on the show next week. So because of the Air Force football game, uh, the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is only going to be a half-hour show. So he's going to have the entire half-hour to talk about the pheasant season outlook. So we've brushed up on some of this right now, but Ed's going to talk about it some more next week. But then real quick, we just have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Um, let's talk about a few other aspects here. Standing corn with walk-in access and hunters or uh, farmers harvesting. Let's talk about that really quick. So, you know, um, you know, some of the walk-in stuff is actually corn, but if the corn is standing, you're not allowed to hunt it until the harvest is done. The other thing is when 
you're out there and you actively see the farmers picking their corn, give them some space. Don't be hunting right next to those combines. For safety purposes, really pay attention because these guys are hauling grain. And the one thing I want to really quickly touch on, in Colorado, it's not required to wear orange when you hunt upland birds. It is for big game. For gosh sakes, folks, please wear an orange hat. Get, get an orange vest on. You know, it's to protect you and it's to protect yourself. And the other thing, really watch your dogs with these early hunts because of the heat. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, on a weekend like today out in Nebraska, we're 70 degrees. These dogs aren't seasoned to this. You know, if you haven't been working your dog and it's just been sitting around all year. So making sure for the dog safety is just as important. So when we get back here, we're going to talk with Nathan Zelensky. He's going to give us a little update on some mule deer hunting as well as blade bait walleyes. You're listening to 104.3 The Fan.